The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. There are two purpose statements in this text, two reasons, two, two aims that Peter is after here. One is for the Lord's sake. Right after he says be subject, it's for the Lord's sake. Why, why do you submit to this party? For this party. For the Lord's sake, for the glory of God. That's what he's after here. And the second aim is in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, so you see the word that, that by doing good, here's, here's what I'm after, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So my aim in this message is to help you fulfill these two purposes. And in the process, I'm here to prepare you and me to be shredded or burned alive. Now, remember, in this text, in his letter, Peter is addressing exiles. He says it in the very first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, and he says it again in the second chapter, the 11th verse, we heard it preached last week, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, and we may wonder, what does this have to do with us? Well, we are all exiles. We've all been exiled from the Garden of Eden. And so Peter is addressing all of us. Now, what does it mean to be subject? Those are the first two words that come out of that 13th verse. Be subject. And no one is exempt from this command. No one young or old, male or female, people that are in positions of authority or under authority because we're all people that are under authority. And there are ways that are to submit that are not Christian, that are not godly. We could call them things like compromise, cowardice, worldliness. You are being subject, but not in a godly way. So what makes our submission godly? Well, the term that Peter's using here is a military term. It means get your attitude under your commander. Sir, yes, sir, we are going to take that hill. Now, what are your orders, Sarge? Or, yes, Mommy, I'll get my pajamas on. Let's have a race. That kind of attitude. Be subject includes acknowledging that there are God-given authorities and, next, humbling our wills to pursue, to pursue their legitimate aims. And all this that we do is for the Lord's sake in verse 13. Peter is saying, God is our reference. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. The Lord's honor and glory is the point. We submit to the emperor because we first submit to God. Now, should we submit to every human institution? Because that's what he says here. Every human institution. Are we supposed to submit to, to the Nazi government if we live in Nazi Germany? I'll try to clarify that from the Bible in just a moment. And supreme. He says to the emperor as supreme. How is the human emperor supreme? Well, he's not supreme over God. We all know that. That's kind of a duh comment for those who read the Bible. But he is supreme within his jurisdiction. You make your appeals through the lesser governors until you get up to the top dog, and he's the top dog. His word is the last word, it's the final word. So submit in various jurisdictions, at work and in society and in family, to those who are supreme in those jurisdictions. Now, in this text, there's two kind of people. 
There are foolish people and there are free people. And what is meant by foolish people? Does he just mean your average garden variety idiot at the intersection that you may have met on the way to church this morning? Or what? Well, he's, I think, referring back to verse 12 that Stephen preached last week, which reads like this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, so they're against you and they're foolish and they're ignorant, they may see your good deeds, you're doing good deeds, and they call you an evildoer and glorify God on the day of visitation. So they have things upside down and they call your good evil. When you speak in certain biblical ways, you're a bigot. When you speak out in certain biblical ways, that's hate speech. Your silence, because you're not a know-it-all, is violence. And so you are accused of being evil and doing evil when you're doing good. So if the aim that he says in verse 15 is that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What is this silence? Well, there is an effect of doing good that does shut the mouths of those who are obstinately criticizing believers as evil because good deeds, different than an argument, have an aroma. There's a flavor to good deeds. People who've done you wrong and you don't revile them as they reviled you, they smell something there. Now, what about when the governor wants you to do the opposite of what this text is saying? Instead of the governor rewarding good and punishing evil, what if he wants to reward evil and punish good? What then? Well, I'll just give you quickly two examples. Well, they won't be very quick. First one's quick. What if the authorities don't want you to fill the place with Christian teaching? This is what happened in the book of Acts. Chapter 5, verse 27 says this, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This is the apostles that have been hauled in now. They're under arrest. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Notice it's Peter, the one who wrote the letter that we're studying in these sermons these weeks. There is an obedience to the emperor, but there's a higher obedience to God. What if the law from the emperor says that you can't pray. Well, let's just take a look at one example in the Bible. I'm going to Daniel chapter 6, and you may want to follow along in your Bible if you have it. Daniel chapter 6, and the very first verse starts like this. It pleased Darius, that's the king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. So he's got a kingdom, and he's going to chop it up in 120 pieces, and he's going to put an authority over every one of those 120 pieces. And, verse 2, over them, over these 120, whatever they are, county sheriffs or whatever, he's going to install three presidents, of whom Daniel was one. So, and remember, Daniel now is an exile. And Peter, in his letter, he's writing to us as exile. So here's an exile. 
He was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Now, apparently, there was some risk of the king suffering loss here. There was some lawlessness in the land, uh, and the king wanted to establish some orderly enforcement so that there wouldn't be this loss. And he wants these satraps to give an account. He actually doesn't trust the satraps totally. Either that or he doesn't trust human nature, which is wise not to trust. We are sinners. And the king suspects there could be corruption among these satraps, and so he wants to have kind of a, an auditing process. All right, verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I want that. Don't you? Don't you want to be known for an excellent spirit? Daniel's been doing good. He's not been using his freedom as a cover-up for evil. You just heard Kurt read that from Peter. But living as a servant of God. And the king has seen these good deeds, and he can smell it. So he wants to set up Daniel as the head over the three presidents who are over the 120 county sheriffs. Verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, kingdom of man. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now this complaint that they want to find, that's verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. That's these, these Gentiles who want to accuse you of evil when you haven't done anything wrong. And Daniel is behaving himself both in the earthly kingdom and in the kingdom of God. Verse 5. And then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Let's see if we can find a place where one kingdom rubs against the other and that's where we can catch him. Verse 6. And then these presidents and satraps came by agreement. We're going to hear that phrase again, by agreement. This is not just some serendipitous thing that they just happen to think, oh, let's, you know, let's trick Daniel. They're in collusion. They're writing legislation. By agreement, they came to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors and the dog catchers are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance. Listen to all the law talk here. An ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Hostility towards God's people is deadly serious. So here you have one who, I don't know if this story reminds you of the story of Joseph where you have an exile who's been taken captivity and he is, has such an excellent spirit that the Pharaoh wants to put him over the whole shooting match. And so it is here with Daniel. And there are people around him who are jealous. 
Verse 8, now, O king, establish the injunction, here's some more law talk, and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius shrugged, I guess, and signed the document and injunction. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so he's aware of this new regulation. He's not naive of the law. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem and got down on his knees three times a day and prayed the very thing that's been outlawed he prayed and gave thanks we could, we could do with a whole sermon right on those two words he gave thanks consider the context in which he's giving thanks he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel didn't concoct a new civil disobedience. There's a new law, so I'm just going to figure out a way that I can disobey that law. He just continued doing what he'd always been doing. And then these men came by agreement, here's that phrase again, and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction... O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Well, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Now, that's, first of all, an exaggeration, and exaggerations are, by definition, false. He pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction which you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. This is a stupid rule that you can't ever change a rule you made. That's a dumb rule. It's a dumb rule for Medes, and it's a dumb rule for Persians, and it's a dumb rule for Greeks and Romans and Americans. God is unchanging. He can make rules that never change, but we're fickle. And then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, there's the good deeds, the pattern of good deeds, consistency in doing good, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought, and if you were here for Andy Nacelli's sermon a few weeks ago, you heard him make reference that the word stone or stones or rocks is all over the, the Bible. And this, 
This stone, well, let me read here. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Can you think of another stone that was set over a hole and a seal was put on it? Big stones are not a problem for the rock of ages. And then the king went to his palace. I love this. And spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, no entertainment. He can't eat, he has no appetite. And sleep fled from him. What's going on? What's going on with the king? God is going on with the king. God is using one man's courage to stand alone, doing good, honoring the king by showing him that there's one greater than the king. His willingness to suffer in doing good is having an effect for Daniel. Verse 19, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Now this is not kingly work. Kings don't run off to the den of lions and find out what's going on. They send a messenger. This king is moved and moving. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, you rascal, you pagan, you'll get yours. Nothing of the kind. He does not throw the king under the bus. He honors the emperor. O king, live forever. Don't you want that for everybody that's in authority over you? Really? To really live forever? Is that your desire for them? O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. I've honored you by honoring the one who is above you. And notice, an angel came. When you stand alone, based upon godly convictions, you are not alone. If we wanted to take time, well, we won't, we could look a few chapters earlier at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who for courageous convictions stand alone and are thrown into a fiery furnace and the king looks in there and sees there's a fourth one like unto the son of the gods. When they stood alone, they were not alone. And when you stand alone, you're not alone. And then, verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded 
And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. You could say they were silenced. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he, and then he gives a, a list here, he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I think it's one of several stories that can be found in the Bible that illustrate Peter's text for us this morning. If God is rightly to be most feared, then we honor people by inviting them into this realization that God is to be most feared. And we show them that he's not to be most feared by not fearing them most. We're not likely to help them fear God if we don't. We could look at the example of, of Peter himself who wrote the letter that we're looking at today because uh, he writes this letter about honoring the emperor and honoring everyone. And in his day, he himself had been imprisoned and Nero is setting fire to his city and blaming the Christians and then using their bodies as torches. We could look at Paul who was imprisoned and then when the earthquake uh, flung open the doors of the prison and unloosed the shackles. Now that's quite an earthquake that can unloose the, the chains from all the prisoners. And the jailer's about to kill himself. Paul hollers at him, don't do it, we're all here. Now, he's not the emperor, but he's the governor sent by the emperor that Peter's referring to. Or we could look at Jesus. How did Jesus show honor when he was arrested? Here he is, the Lord of all, the most high king, being subject to Herod, to Pilate, to whom he says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Peter will say to us in the fourth chapter, first verse, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. How does doing good silence the ignorance of foolish people? They see that we're not looking to them for reward. And their ignorance will be silenced when they see that we continue to do good and they can't figure out our motives. When we don't retaliate and we don't escalate and we don't get into shouting matches, they'll say, what is with these people? Who is with these people? This God of Daniel and Shadrach and Peter and Paul is still on the throne and his spirit is here now with you.
if you're in Christ. Peter exhorts us this morning to honor the emperor and to honor everyone, actually, and this is hard, but here's good news. God helps those who are in Christ. He creates new passions that manifest themselves in new behaviors. The believer's hope, based upon the confidence in our promised future, overflows in the capacity to return good for evil. Someone does us dirt and we bless them. Bless those who curse you, those who despitefully use you and persecute you. The world watches this and they observe. They're hoping in something outside of their immediate circumstances. Now the point of Peter's whole letter is to bring others into the enjoyment of that which is most enjoyable, namely God. And, and the key is hope. Looking toward our inheritance and its joy and looking back on what Christ has done for us in dying for us. We're covered and we're enabled to do this hard thing of being subject. So Jesus is both the source enabling us and he's the model. If we were to jump down in the text past verse 17 to verse 21, we would see that he has left us an example that we should walk in his steps. And in the garden, you're well aware that he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He is making himself subject to the Father. The worship team is going to come and help us sing a response to this message. The question for us is, how eager are we to let the Lord have his own way in assigning us under Darius's and Nebuchadnezzar's and Pharaoh's and governors and all kinds of people that are in authority over us? Will we let the Lord have his own way? Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.